Angela Russell is one of the biggest cheerleaders for diversity in the financial services sector. I am so happy that more and more voices of women of color are being amplified. The question is, are we going to actually listen to people who are different than us? Or are we going to continue to listen in the moment and then sweep it under the rug? The powerful call for diversity, equity, and inclusion has reverberated through our society, and the finance industry is no different. Momentum has been building in the cooperative space, and credit unions find themselves at a crossroads. Do they choose the path of opportunity or just settle for more of the same? It's really on each one of us to say, what am I committed to doing in this movement to make financial freedom available to everyone? This is Financial Futures, the podcast that charts the frontiers of fintech innovation. In this series, we'll be exploring the trends that are already transforming credit unions and the technologies they'll need to prosper in a brave new payment landscape. I'm your host, Erin Dangler. Today, we'll be talking with Angela Russell, Vice President of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion at CUNA Mutual Group, about why DEI is more than just box checking, how inclusion and equity can be a rising tide that lifts all boats, and how credit unions can be the change they want to see in the world. With a topic as charged and important as this, it's always good to start with some level setting. So let's start from the top. What is diversity? So diversity just means difference, how we are all different. And there are visible forms of diversity and invisible forms of diversity. So some of the visible forms of diversity include race, hair color, gender, sometimes age, sometimes height, a whole variety of things. And then there are some invisible forms of diversity as well, which include health status, mental health status sometimes, ability status, sexual orientation, political affiliation, religious background or non-religious background, economic status, educational background, family structure, all of these things so that make us different. And one of the important things about diversity is that it's our diversity that makes the human population beautiful. And I think that sometimes people end up fearing differences as opposed to saying that these differences are what makes the fabric of who we are just so amazing and stronger. That's a great way to start the conversation. I love it. Uh, so what is equity? Yes. So equity is making sure that folks have what they need in the way that they need it in order to participate. So most of my career has been in government. And in government, we said we wanted to treat everyone the same. However, in treating everyone the same, we're not necessarily giving folks what they need in order to participate. And I'm going to use an example that the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation has had. And it's about four people who are different. They all want to go to the bike on a bike ride together. So this organization gave everyone a bike. Everyone got the same bike. The challenge is that we have four people who have very different needs that want to participate in the bike ride. You've got one child. You've got a mom. You've got a, a partner who's much taller than the mom. And then you've got someone that doesn't have the ability to use their legs. So in the traditional 
equality model of giving everyone the same thing to participate in the bike ride. Not everyone can participate. In an equity model, you're giving folks what they need in order to participate. So in this example, the child would get a child-sized bike. The mom already had the type of bike that she needed to participate in, in the bike ride to begin with. The taller person gets a bigger bike that fits their frame. And the person that doesn't have the ability to use their legs gets a bike that you can use your arms to power forward. Yeah, that's a fascinating way to look at it. So it's giving people the tools they need to participate and set them up for success? Absolutely. Every Because we have so much diversity in our country, not everyone is starting at the same place for financial services. So what does it mean to give people what they need to participate in the financial services system? So what, what promotes equity in a financial service, in an organization beyond remuneration, beyond money? Let's just talk about the workplace. And this is a lesson that I learned the hard way. A couple of years ago, we had an intern that was in the A motorized wheelchair. And he came to one of our diversity, equity, and inclusion sessions. And he said afterwards, he's like, can I show you something? And I'm like, absolutely. So he and my colleague and I, we went into our building and he could get into our building just fine from the outside to into our lobby because there was push button accessibility. But from our lobby, he could not get into our offices because there was no push button accessibility button from the lobby to the offices. So he would actually have to take an elevator down and come back up or um, take an elevator up and come back down. And when I contacted our facilities, they said we did what was ADA compliant. And that was the thing for me that compliance does not always equal inclusion. And that's not meeting folks need in order to participate. It's fascinating because you were talking about, you know, well, we did what was ADA compliant. I had a a conversation with my husband about this. Uh, He's a VP in a mostly white male dominated business, you know, forestry. And they've been talking a lot about this in their company. And I said, so what have you, and and they've worked very hard in this DEI part of their company. And he said, you can't just check the box. It's always been a separate group, a separate subcommittee so that you can check the box. You can say we're ADA compliant, but it it goes much further than that. It does. And it's really that there's this book called Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson. And he talks about those closest to the pain are closest to the solution. And it's really important for us to get proximate. Sometimes in our offices and workspaces, we're not actually close enough to the consumers or the end user to understand some of the challenges or barriers that we may be placing in their way that we just don't know about. And the financial services uh, industry has not had a good track record historically in being equitable. In fact, it's been just the opposite. It's been inequitable and created unfair and unjust practices that leave entire populations behind. And one of the things that I appreciate so much is that we are working, the financial services industry collectively is working to change that, to make sure that people have access to brighter financial futures, which is what this is all about. Well, it sounds like what you said uh, in understanding what our colleagues need, it's really about creating empathy. That's what good leadership is. Empathy is so huge. I think that in this space of DEI, it sometimes gets to be a little divisive 
and there's this intense call out culture. And we're trying to reframe that about how do you call people in with compassion and empathy so we can actually have a shared understanding and move together. And that can only happen, in my opinion, through relationship building. It's hard to hold people accountable sometimes if you don't have a relationship and understanding other people's perspectives. When you have that relationship, that's when you can actually start moving not only hearts and minds, that's part of it, but what we really want to do is change systems and structures so that people have access to financial freedom ultimately. And if you look at the history of the financial institutions historically in the United States, there's been a history of redlining, which I mean, is horrible. And that has impacted generational wealth over time. So when we think about equity, we have to think about what has been done historically that creates systemic disadvantage and what does it mean to change that now? So what is financial inclusion? Oh my gosh. <laughs> do you have all do we question. have all day? So it's really being able to make sure that everyone has the opportunity to live up to their fullest financial potential. And we know that so many people are excluded from um, the financial services industry. Dare I say, and this is could be controversial, all the stuff that we saw with GameStop is kind of a referendum on who's included in our financial industry right now and who is not. We actually need to get really thoughtful and honest with ourselves in terms of who's historically been included, in terms of having access to financial freedom, who hasn't, and what can we do to change that? We know that the United States is getting increasingly more diverse. And if we don't understand diversity in general, we're not going to be able to meet the changing needs of our demographic base, let alone create much more of a financial inclusion, inclusive paradigm in our country. As humans, we love to put things in boxes. We want a playbook where we can check off diversity, check, equity, check, inclusion, check. But as we're learning, DEI is a simple acronym for a set of complex concepts, and a siloed approach is not going to cut it. There's an HBR, Harvard Business Review article a few years ago, I think it was published in 2015, that diversity without inclusion is useless, right? So if you don't have inclusive practices or an equitable workforce, it's going to end up being a revolving door, number one. And people's voices will unintentionally be silenced. So you're not going to get the feedback that you need that's going to serve the company in the best way. So I think of some company faux pas, marketing faux pas that happen on a regular basis in the retail market. And lots of times those faux pas would not have happened if there was number one, diversity, and number two, if the diversity that was in the workplace was allowed, was given the opportunity to give voice to say, hey, this is going to go sideways if you go down this path. So why is DEI so relevant now? I think right now, DEI is a new framing for something that's been talked about for a long time. So I'll tell you a little bit about my story. So I'm in Madison, Wisconsin, but I'm from Peoria, Illinois. Peoria historically was the world world headquarters of Caterpillar Tractor. My parents both attended historically Black colleges in the South. 
My dad went to Alabama State. My mom went to Grambling State. And they were recruited from Caterpillar Tractors in the 70s to come and work in Peoria. And the reason I bring this up is because DEI isn't a new thing, right? The work to increase diversity and amplify voices of, quite frankly, historically marginalized communities has been an ongoing journey. Now, the thing that's happening right now in our country is that we know that we're getting much more diverse. And the diversity is, quite frankly, leading to a lot of fear of difference. And in this fear of difference, I think people are acting out in very strange ways. But it's those actions are so much based in fear. So if we know that we're going to become a more diverse country, we have to, in my opinion, grapple with, number one, how we came to be as a country. Because we've been marginalizing folks since the beginning. And if we don't become honest with ourselves, there's no way that we can actually have a a true reconciliation and healing process, which is necessary for everyone to thrive in the future. So let's move into talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion in financial institutions, particularly in credit unions. So what is the current state of the average credit union in terms of DEI? (laughs) Our boards of credit unions are are still pretty um, male and white male. We do have a lot more women in leadership in credit unions, but the folks of color leading credit unions is still lower um, than it needs to be, and it's not reflective of this changing demographic. So we've got a lot of work to do. And one of the things that I appreciate so much about the credit union movement is that folks all across the movement are coming together to say there's not one single person in this movement that has the answer. We have to bring our diverse perspectives together and lead and swim in the same direction together. So we've got CUNA, we've got NAFQ, we've got Hughes, we've got the African American Credit Union Coalition, we've got NALCUP, which is our, our Latino Credit Union Association, we've got Young Professionals, we've got LGBTQ Association. So a lot of different folks coming together to say, what do we need to do as a credit union industry to be better? And would you say that's on the side of those working there or the members? Oh, that's a great question. So there's this new organization, formal, informal organization called the CUDEI Collective. And we had a a meeting recently and we were talking and then someone from the organization called Inclusive said, we're saying that we want to swim in the same direction, but we're forgetting the member. So that question that you just said really was a reminder to us is as as we are working as an industry, we cannot forget who we're doing this in partnership with. And this is to benefit our members. And we cannot forget that that has to be center and core to everything that we do. And you, so you need leadership that reflects the similar demographics of your members. You know, I saw, I saw a figure somewhere that said um, that firms benefit when they have greater than 23% of their top management are represented by minorities. Is that an accurate figure? Yes, that's accurate. And it's a challenge because historically leadership has been really based on white men. The leaders of tomorrow are going to be vastly different And those needs are going to be vastly different of the needs historically, because it's not going to be all about white male leadership. When I started at CUNA Mutual Group, 
we were talking about what does leadership look like? And there is this phrase that was always tossed around that, oh, this person doesn't have executive presence. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. What do you mean by executive presence? And what is that based on? And what are the biases that you're that you're saying go into executive presence? And most of the time it was like a white dude that has that that charismatic a nice suit. Yep. A great yes, speaking voice, yes. a good haircut. <laughs> Executive presence. What? What is that? So how are we challenging each one of ourselves and our leadership to say, is our leadership paradigm currently designed on what the leadership of the past? Or are we really designing our leadership tracks in terms of what's needed in the future? So, I mean, that's a question that I have for all of us. Diversity in senior management is a great way to lead by example, and it also proves just how future-facing an organization is. After all, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. So where are credit unions on their DEI journey? According to Angela, the very fact that their economic model is co-opt-based means they're starting from a unique place with tons of potential. The main tenet of credit unions is people helping people. So many credit unions started like in the basement of a church or in the basement of a community member who was trusted. So that trust and authentic relationship is part of the fabric of who credit unions are. And I think that credit unions can continue to build on who they are inherently to continue to connect more members to the financial services that they need. And actually, I think this probably even goes beyond credit unions, but also credit unions could help work with members to help co-create financial solutions. Again, I think there is this notion of who has power and who doesn't. And what ends up happening is that people in power think that everyone needs the same thing. That goes back to that equality model. When we know that people have different needs and when you co-create solutions with other folks who are different than you, that tends to be the most powerful and most effective solution. So let's talk a little bit about how credit unions are different from banks in terms of DEI. Do you think they're leading the way a bit more? I think that banks have done a really great job of, of doing the marketing directly to diverse consumers. I think that banks have done an incredible job. I think that credit unions have the opportunity to step back into our DNA of who we are, of people helping people. I think we have the opportunity to connect more with our members in an authentic way. And I think this moment is calling on us to do that. So that's my hope and intention. I think that because it's inherently of who we are and how we grew up, we have the ability to do it really well. I think that there are some skills like empathy and resiliency and listening and tapping into each other's humanities that need to be developed a little bit more within the credit union system. And we need to kind of lean into the discomfort. This is a really uncomfortable space for a whole lot of people, but just because there's discomfort doesn't mean it's the wrong thing to do. So how do we lean into that discomfort knowing that our demographic is changing and knowing that our survival as an industry is quite frankly dependent on us doing this well? Get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah, have those conversations, take some risks, know we're going to make some mistakes. And know that it's not going to be smooth sailing. 
one of the analogies that I use a lot in this space is the analogy of a seed. A seed can only germinate and grow once it's broken open, right? And that breaking open generally happens in the darkness of such deep soil when it feels like you're all alone. And that breaking open, no one likes to be broken open. It's painful, but that seed cannot grow into its full potential until it's broken open. And, and then you have all the system nutrients that you need in order for it to flourish. Same thing with DEI and this movement. We cannot begin to tap into that potential until we kind of get into that uncomfortable space. And that's that breaking open part. The mental picture of this beautiful plant Starting small, being nurtured, and thriving through a collective force. It's pretty compelling. But if credit unions want their DEI to bloom and start reaping the benefits, they're going to have to do more than just pray for rain. So I can talk emotional intelligence all day, and people think it's fluff, but it's actually connected to your actual performance as an organization. Those two are so linked. So... A couple of things. Number one, it's accept that the demographics of the country are changing. You know, they are. They're changing rapidly. Get proximate to your community members and don't fear it. Another one that I hear a lot of fear around is the NCUA self-assessment. So the National Credit Union Administration has a self-assessment that credit unions can take to see how they're doing right now as it relates to DEI. I think some of the fear is that NCUA is going to use that self-assessment as a regulatory hammer, and they're not, but you don't even have to submit it back to the NCUA, but it can just give you a frame to say, oh, this is where we're at right now, and this is where we need to be moving forward, both in terms of our workforce and in terms of our policies and practices. And I would say that the NCUA self-assessment is a good starting point. Also, look at the diversity of your boards. If your board is not reflective of your member base and your community base, you may need to do something different and lean into that. And the other thing that I would offer to credit unions, particularly individual credit unions, is know that you're not alone. There are so many people within this industry and so many organizations that are wanting to just improve the credit union system as a whole. So reach out and connect with people. Doing this alone isn't is going to wear you out <laughs> and it won't be effective in the long term. So know that lean into our cooperative principles and connect and cooperate with each other. There's power in numbers, which leads to this next question, which I'm really curious to hear your answer of. Where should the responsibility for sustaining DEI be held? Is it management? Is it individuals? Is it everything? So it's everywhere. Executive level buy-in is key for this to work. So I've done... DEI work at other organizations where I, we did not have executive level buy-in and it did not go as far as we needed it to go. When Bob Trunzo became CEO of, of CUNY Mutual Group back in 2014, one of the very first things that he did was add inclusion as a corporate value. That has been an anchor for us to go back to time and time again. So leadership and um, executive level buy-in is essential. There's been a lot of debate in the literature itself, um, however, about where should DEI be housed? Should it be housed in HR? Should it be housed in you know, enterprise services? Should it be 
report directly to the CEO. There's been a lot of um, stuff about that, but I can tell you that it's not one person with a title that's going to make the change to an organization. Every part of the organization needs to be doing its work around DEI. So the person who has a title or the department that has a title of DEI, they can be a facilitator to the change that needs to happen, but they're not going to be in the day-to-day roles where some of those decisions are being made. So how do we really create systems and structures where DEI is embedded across the organization, which is what needs to happen? Again, a systemic change. And it goes back to what we said about not compartmentalizing it, not just ticking the box. It's got to be everywhere. Well, since this is a financial show, let's go to bottom line. How can DEI improve their strategic performance? How will it help? Oh, my gosh. To me, this is basic. And I don't mean to be snotty about that, but it's <laughs> it's basic. If you don't understand the changing demographic base, your member base, you're not going to be able to have solutions and products and services that are relevant. So you will lose money. Bottom line. There you go. <laughs> It's pretty basic. So if we want to reach those people that are listening, how can I get a better return on my investment? Diversity, inclusion, and equity. Yep. Absolutely. And if, if just, just think, like, let's set aside race. race. We know race and gender matter for sure, hugely. But let's add age into that mix. Like, I literally do not understand folks that are 20 years younger than me at all. So it's really incumbent upon me to make sure that the team that I have has that diversity, like an age diversity, race diversity, gender, so I can get other perspectives. Well, in our our last season two of Financial Futures is all about generational differences and how we approach money. And it's very much talking about these same principles is that it's really about empathy. So can you tell us what are the benefits for credit unions with a diverse leadership? What does good look like? I think that it goes back to the theme that you keep bringing up, which is empathy. People who know how to listen, um, leadership that knows how to create spaces to listen to difference, which will make a stronger organization. You'll have a much more engaged workforce. We have seen our engagement numbers um, be really quite good, particularly among folks from diverse backgrounds. Engagement is really high. That will help with turnover and retention over time. And just they'll be your best brand advocates, quite frankly. When you have an engaged workforce um, that is thriving and it's diverse, people will want to talk about your organization and it will help your brand ultimately as well, which, again, then helps the bottom line. There are so many benefits to diversity and having it in your workforce. And then the other thing, and a colleague of, of mine reminds me of this as well, When you start intentionally doing your own personal work around diversity, it transforms you as a leader. One of the things that I appreciate about our leadership at CUNA Mutual Group so much is that they embody this notion of confident humility, confident that we're on the right path, but humble enough to say, we don't have all the answers and we're going to learn this together. And I think that that confident humility has only grown and been embodied more in our leaders since we've been on this DEI journey. Confident humility. Sounds like an oxymoron, but I love it. (laughs) Yeah. So for someone out there who's listening, someone who works at a credit union or maybe someone in leadership, and they're going, oh, this is resonating with me. What would you tell them to do to get started if they don't feel like they're in the right place? 
I would say the first place to start is look at your results of the NCUA uh, DEI self-assessment. Start there and then reach out, go to the website CUDEI Collective to see all of the other credit union partners that are working on, on this type of work. Just as a reminder that you don't have to go through this alone and not all the partners will be the right quote unquote fit for you or resonate with you, but there may be some that will because it's such a diverse collective and a diverse group of folks. Some aspects will resonate with one credit union and other, other folks will resonate with another and that's okay. That's again, that equity model of meeting people where they're at in terms of their particular needs. What about members? Um, maybe someone who's thinking about joining a credit union or someone who already is a member. Do you feel members should speak up to this? Absolutely. If members are not seeing what they want from their credit union, reach out to the credit union leadership, reach out to the board and say, ask them what would they want different? How can your particular credit union meet your particular needs better? Credit unions want to hear that, and it's necessary. Angela Russell is the Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at CUNA Mutual Group. And that's it for today's show. Join us again next time for the Season 3 finale of Financial Futures. We'll be wrapping things up with a deep dive into the new age of lending and big data.